Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever even as he said to our fathers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before having children, Blake and I usually waited until after Thanksgiving to prepare for Christmas. Since then, kids have rapidly changed our habits. The tree and stockings go up a week before Thanksgiving. Red and green themed candy and eggnog find their ways into our home the moment they hit the grocery store shelves. And Christmas music fills the house, starting the day after Halloween. The music, more than anything else, ushers the Christmas spirit into our home and hearts, summoning an ancient joy that feels both unquenchable and life-giving. As believers, we understand this joy has an eternal quality, pointing to something more than temporary happiness. But we also recognize that in a terribly broken world, The joy we find at Christmas can feel extremely fragile. We hold tight to our joy because deep down, we fear it could vanish in an instant by an unexpected crisis or season of suffering. At any moment, the songs we sing could rise into grating chaos or fade into silence, never to be sung in the same way again. As winds of misfortune sweep our world with alarming power, It seems that too often our songs of joy are carried off or silenced, leaving us to wonder if joy can even be found in the face of such destructive forces. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was no stranger to the same devastating powers we experience today. She lived in Nazareth in Galilee, a land occupied by the oppressively cruel Roman Empire. People like Mary were at best invisible and at worst, expendable, in the eyes of the Romans who had little regard for the lives of conquered people. Fear of Romans, poverty, and disease compounded the hardship experienced by Mary and others like her. Even within her own people, corruption ran rampant among the religious leaders who abused their power and trampled the vulnerable for personal gain. The installed king of Israel was no better. The vile man honored only himself. These institutions, which have been designed by God to model his rule, uh, they had fully abandoned their true purpose. And someone like Mary would always be a nobody to them. She was inconsequential and therefore disposable, like everyone else who had the misfortune of being born in the wrong place at the wrong time. The most she could hope for was to marry, live a quiet, hidden life of faith, and vanish into obscurity. Perhaps we've also had times of feeling invisible, forsaken, or unworthy of notice. 
But Mary wasn't a nobody. None of us are. Imagine her shock as the angel Gabriel appeared, saying, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, some might call this a reversal of fortune, as though Mary had won the lottery. But great reversals like this were always a hallmark of God's kingdom. Childless Abraham and Sarah became parents of a nation. Joseph was a slave and rose through the ranks to become the most powerful man in Egypt. The Israelites, bound in slavery, managed to escape Egypt. And Pharaoh and his mighty army, or the exiled Esther, managed to gain the king's favor to save her people from destruction. Mary inherits a legacy of being elevated from a lowly station for the great salvific purposes of God. And the calling God places on her life is the pinnacle of all that has come before. Deep within her soul, Mary knows the depths of God's graciousness towards her and the gravity of her calling, and her joy is irrepressible. She bursts forth in song like a bird praising the rising sun and proclaims, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now, several things are going on here. Her soul, which is the eternal part of Mary that is distinctly her, that is the part that glorifies or magnifies the Lord. Mary's whole purpose in singing this song is to make conspicuous the compassionate goodness of God. As her soul magnifies God, her spirit, the animating life force breathed into her and all people by God, rejoices in the Lord's redemptive movement. It's like her soul is a candle and her spirit is the flame radiating God's goodness for all to see. The eye is drawn to the flame, the source of joy, while the vessel points to the light, attracting all who see it to its glow. Or we might think of Mary's soul like a microphone, broadcasting the joyful song flowing from God through her. Mary draws her joy into sharper focus, celebrating God's mindfulness of her. Now in the Greek, the phrase being mindful is more than just a passing awareness, but means to gaze upon and regard with favor. Just as God saw Hagar in Genesis when she was alone and forsaken, and just as he was mindful of Hannah who was grief-stricken in her barrenness, so he sees humble Mary and chooses her for a wondrous calling. Her very station in life causes her to praise God entirely. Now, her experience contrasts greatly with Roman beliefs of that time, which embraced capricious gods who were drawn to humans for their beauty or talents. But here stands Mary, a girl of no beauty, status, or any quality to commend her before a God who desires to lavish his grace upon her and, through her, the whole world. Powerless in her own right, only a mighty and merciful God would choose her, create the miracle within her, and then honor her as a model of devotion and faithfulness. Rather than being cast aside and forgotten, as so often happened in Roman myth when the gods and humans interacted, Mary is deemed eternally blessed. She sings, All generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Beyond choosing Mary to bear the Messiah, 
is the mighty act of that miraculous conception of Jesus, which also evokes joyful praise for our Creator. Just as God's Spirit hovered over the dark waters at creation and brought forth the universe and all it contains, so His Spirit overshadows Mary, establishing life where there was none, proving Gabriel's point that nothing is impossible with God. Again, Mary inherits a great legacy of God creating life in barren places. From Sarah to Rachel to Hannah, and even Mary's cousin Elizabeth, each woman conceived under impossible circumstances and bore children of great significance to God's plan. But this time, the life growing within Mary is God himself, and the dead, barren places God ultimately seeks are the hearts of his people. God came to dwell in her so that he might dwell in us all, resurrecting us from the grip of sin and death. Therefore, Mary's blessed status is twofold. First, God elevates her from her humble, lowly, sinful state to mother of the Messiah, where she then becomes a model for us to bear Christ to the world. This dawning reality spurs Mary's song as she recalls God's actions in the past in anticipation of what is to come, singing his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. In Christ, pride, power, and greed will be brought low, while the reverent, humble, and hungry will be elevated. And we see this pattern repeating over and over again throughout the Old Testament, from Israel's exodus to David's rise to king at Saul's fall, and into the ups and downs of Israel and Judah's history of kings. But with each song of joy, at every victory and triumph, Israel's past always succumbed to new waves of tragedy, dooming creation to endless cycles of sin. But Mary reminds us that God is merciful, showing kindness towards the afflicted and a desire to help. She concludes her song, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants that they would be his people and he would be their God. Though Israel failed, God's faithfulness remained. And now Mary heralds the start of God's movement to fulfill both ends of the covenant entirely. The Lord chose to humble himself, step down from his throne, and experience the affliction plaguing his beloved creation. He comes to rescue us, reversing the course of the universe, and usher in his true kingdom. As Jesus walked the earth teaching and embodying the values of his kingdom, he humbled the proud and looked upon the forgotten with compassion. And in his death and resurrection, he overcame humanity's bondage to sin and death, releasing us from our powerless state and reuniting us with our heavenly father. He then imparted his spirit to us that we may resist the forces seeking our destruction and like Mary, carry the joy of Christ to a weary world. Our joy, like Mary's, depends not on the dreadful state of the world, but the assurance that Christ the King lives in us. 
He sees us, knows our afflictions, and is merciful to all who fear and love him. In bold confidence, we know the days are numbered for the forces that dehumanize and objectify others for selfish gain. Empires rise and fall. Rulers come in and out of power. But God's reign is now everlasting and spreading in the hearts of his people. And it is here in our hearts where the greatest reversals occur. Each of us bears the weak, lowly places of hurt where other sins have left wounds and scars. These are the places Christ gazes upon in compassion and moves to heal. Likewise, we carry strongholds of pride and idolatry where our sin hurts others and cries out for a humbling restraint only Christ can wield. In love, he levels the arrogance within us that would look down upon others to glorify ourselves. And it's here, within the holy renovation Jesus works in our hearts, that our deepest joy is found. The joy of knowing that Christ values broken, complicated, awful humanity so much that we're worth his ultimate sacrifice, that his greatest desire is to transform us into holy children of God born of his kingdom. The joy found in Christ's redemptive, sacrificial love is among God's greatest tools of resistance to the overwhelming forces of the world. Psalm 126 attests to this, saying those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. We live in ongoing seasons of grief, loss, and suffering, but it's only for a time. The joy of restoration, healing, and deliverance is upon us today. May we walk in joy as Mary did, praising our King who has come to make all things new, bringing order and peace to a frantic, weary, weary world. And may we also join Mary in song in both good and troubling days. Let us sing for joy, sing to combat the darkness, sing praises to our God who loves us with the compassion of a merciful father to his children. May our souls magnify the Lord and our spirits rejoice in God our Savior now and forever. Amen.